1: Lily Graham's dual timeline fiction always finds hope and heartbreak, a result she says of being inspired by people who overcome adversity to pursue their dreams. It's something Lily had to learn to do very early in her own life. Hi there, I'm your host Jenny Wheeler and today Lily talks about how she got started in writing and gives listeners a great opportunity to enter a draw for a signed paperback copy of her book, The Island Villa. It's a dramatic tale of two sisters living in a time of fear and betrayal in a villa where the wars whisper secrets, guaranteed, they say, to appeal to fans of Kristen Hanna and Victoria Hislop. You can enter the draw on Jenny's author Facebook page at JennyWheeler.biz, just search on that or refer to the show notes for this episode on the website thejoysofbingereading.com. where you'll also find links to Lily's books and website. Get your entries in by the end of this month, February 28th, to be in with the chance of winning this fascinating paperback. But now here's Lily. Hello there, Lily, and welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us. Thank you so much, Jenny. So lovely to be here. Now, look, I always like, as a good storyteller, to start at the beginning with the once upon a time moment. And I wondered if for you there was such a moment when it was like an epiphany. You thought you wanted to write fiction and your life would not be fulfilled unless you actually managed to do that. And if so, was there a catalyst for it?
2: Not quite. I think it's quite a strange thing. I um. From a very, very young age, I, I just sort of fell in love with books. And I had this line in The Paris Secret where my main character, Valerie, um, she sort of falls into the the arms of books the way some people do with, you know, men. And that was that was the story for me. I w- was always this reader. And I, I don't know when it was, but I made this sort of secret pact with myself one day that someday I would do this. And I remember quite vividly, I think I was about nine years old, and it was the first time I really tried to write something, and it was so appalling, and I was really, really devastated. Um, and, the, you know, you know I mean, you just can't get something right, and everything that I tried for many, many years after was just, fell so short of what I wanted it to look like, the books that I've been reading, and the stories that I loved, Um but there was this quiet thing in me that said, one day you will write. And um, then eventually I sort of grew up and I, um, I studied journalism and I, I did that. And, and it was writing of a kind. Um, and I think it was my 20s I started um, writing a novel. Um, but it was always this quiet thing you do by yourself. And then my, my best friend, who um, used to read all my, my, my material, Quite kindly. <laughs> um, she one day she told me about the Amazon KDP program and she'd been reading so so much of my work and she said, Look, I think you should just do this. You 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 know, you can just finish one of these books that you've got going and do it. And and I would say that was my catalyst moment because it was this this project that I could do. And um, I even, that's what I called it. I called it the Lily Graham project. (laughs) And so my first, (laughs) I I was probably about 32 at the time, and I took an entire year and I wrote The Summer Escape, which is, um, at the time it was called An Invincible Summer. And it was just, I'd, I'd sort of written it about eight years before. But it was, it was so horrendous. It really, really needed a lot of work. And I just did. I took that year, and it was just such a great moment. And then when we were finished, um, I didn't actually upload that one to Amazon because I just didn't feel it was – it still needed work. Um, and then I, But I, I got the bug. I'd really gotten the bug, and I really wanted to do this this sort of self-validating thing for myself. So I wrote another story, and by the end of that year, we, we uploaded it. And that became – the uh, Cornish Christmas at the time it was called The Postcard and it was a novella and I really enjoyed that process and it was so much fun and I was very very fortunate to do it because my um, my all my friends were in publishing and and, and the media so one of my best friends designed the cover my best friend that I was speaking about is um, an editor so I was so fortunate that it was quite a I wouldn't say it's the most polished thing that, that ever could have happened because we, we weren't you know in the publishing world, but it was a pretty good first <laughs> first attempt you know because I had a professional graphic designer do my cover and that sort of thing. So it was it was a lot of fun and but yeah, that, that you know this phone call telling me that there's such a thing as um, Kindle Direct publishing, that was this catalyst. Um, but I, I never expected the whole
1: Lily Graham thing to happen <laughs> and to become my career. So that those first books were under your pen name of Lily Graham, were they? Yeah, so
2: it was two. It was um, – at the time it was called An Invincible Summer, which was released the following um, May. And in November of tw- 2014 it was the postcard. And um, what ended up happening is I sort of um, – got in touch with with my publishers at the moment and had sent through, I can't remember what had happened, someone had, had contacted me and then I sent through the full manuscript. And, yeah, and then I was offered a, a three-book deal. So those two books were republished, but they, they needed some work. Um, the novella was turned into a full-length novel. And, um, yeah, and then I, I published a fully new book um,
1: by the end of – I think it was 2016 with them. Now, you've chosen an interesting genre slot for your work, and, and well, certainly the later books. They are sweet romance shot through with a real sense of loss and darker themes. Were those first two books also um, – did they have the dark side as well? Yeah, yeah. I would say
2: that the, the first um, three books that I wrote were, were sort of more – um, commercial women's fiction, mm-hmm. um, so in the UK they sort of have a, a it's like holiday themes. So uh, that's when you find a lot of books with like say Christmas in the title or summer or spring at somewhere. Um, but I've I've always loved drama and um, speaking about um, like the human um, emotions and tragedies, but exploring all these deep, deeper, darker themes, but in quite a hopeful way. It always comes out. I can't help it. So those first few were, were sort of um, kind of genre bound. So that was about as dark as I was allowed to go. And uh, I then had a discussion with, with my my editor and my publisher. And um, so we said the later books now, so the Island Villa and the Paris Secret are a new genre. that They're more historical fiction. Yes. Um, and that, that's the path I'm now going down. So I'm i am very happy to switch genres and I'm very happy that my readers have been so amazing and have come along for the ride. <laughs>
1: yeah. That's great. So it's funny because they do kind of divide in their settings as well because the earlier books, there is that thing about the cosy Cornish thing and I realised yes. when I started to look that there's quite a sub-genre of Cornish romance I wondered if there was some particular attraction about Cornwall that, that seems it wasn't have... it wasn't delivered. I mean I
2: have since seen that that there's a lot of books out there but but I think you need to come here to understand it is so beautiful it's um Cornwall is just this this place that I just I would love to go and live um it's just it's so far so with my publishers and and uh, being in London and and at the events that I need to be around for work purposes, and my husband, um, it's just too far away. It would be about seven hours on the train. But it, it's just this magical place, and it's so wild. And you really do get the sense of magic when you're there that anything can happen. And um, oh, it's just a wonderful place to be. And every time I go there, I. I develop new ideas. I think it comes from Daphne du Maurier and um, her Rebecca. And as soon as you go there, you you really feel this, this intense atmosphere um, that she describes in her books. And I don't know, maybe it's something about that that I tapped into or, or tried to tap into because I'm a huge uh, du Maurier fan.
1: And so you were living in England by this stage. I mean, we, for readers who don't know, you did – Originally, um, start out on South Africa, but was this writing uh, journey? You were already based in England at that time. No, the,
2: the first, the first book, yeah. Actually, by the time I was published by Bookature, so um, the first books would have come through, and I was, I was living here and had um, travelled to Cornwall quite, quite extensively. Um, so, so yes, yeah, um, yeah. you know, it's based on. I'm, I've always been such an Anglo. So, you know, I was watching Poldark Dark and That set in Cornwall and I think all of those things influenced yeah. my, my my um at the time it was my second novel, yeah.
1: And but you don't think you're set anymore in Cornwall now that's something that's in the past or? I, I no, I would never say never.
2: actually I think my my well the next book that I'm writing at the moment is set in Devon, which is the sort of county next door. Yes. And um and then the following one would be back in Cornwall. Um, yeah, I think there, there, there's a lot. There's a big history of uh, UK writers writing about this place. It's almost like Scotland. It, there's so much to it, mm. and yeah, it almost becomes that like sort of second character. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you you can you can co- you know cozy cozy romances, or you can have that deeper, darker. Um, ghostly atmosphere. And there's a lot of ghost stories set down there as well.
1: Yeah, it's just it's a good playground, I think. Yeah. for a setting. Now the more recent books, as you've mentioned, set in Paris um, and on the Spanish island of Forment- Formentera. Yes. Did, did you find that you have slightly different readerships for those from the Cornish ones? So you mentioned earlier that you felt grateful to your readers for following you. So they came across quite happily with the change in tone, did they? Yes, I,
2: I think, like I said, my, my books were probably be packaged more as these com, uh, commercial novels, but at their heart, a lot of them, aside from the Christmas stories, which are an entirely different beast, a lot of them are quite magical. Um, but I would say all my summer books were very much um, along this vein. Um, I just hadn't really allowed myself to to properly go down that <laughs> dramatic path. So a lot of them, I don't think, we're very surprised. You know, you know, because I mean, even my first novel. I mean, it's it's about a woman who loses her her partner, um, her, her future husband, on the day they're about to get married. You know, he gets killed, it, it's it's not as lighthearted, as you know, you know what I mean. So, um, yeah, I don't think it was an, an absolute shock <laughs> for them that I was going to go down the slightly darker. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, but I'm glad that they that they were happy to come with. And yeah, I suppose also, um, I started writing it when I was um, 31, 32. I'm 35 now. Um, suppose you start maturing, and you know, and I'm, I'm happy that they are going along, <laughs> which is great.
1: Yeah. It makes me wonder whether there's something in your own experience that's led you to this worldview—that to be aware of the sun through the clouds, or vice versa, to anticipate clouds even in sunshine.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think in some ways it's growing up in South Africa, definitely. Um, you know, it's such a troubled but beautiful country, and you do learn to you live you live in a different way, and you have a different outlook on life. Um, just because there's a lot of crime, there's a lot of lot of things to to get through. Um, yeah. um, and then from my own personal experiences, um, I was born with a disability um, and born without uh, my left arm, well, part of my left arm. And so I think, yeah, it's that sort of thing as well that that does, in some way, it can't help influencing what you write about, you know. So there's always a little bit of, of darkness because – I do believe that when we face our adversities and and things like that, it makes us stronger. And I think the one thing my arm has taught me about life is having the courage to really go after my own dreams because it's not that this is the worst thing that can happen, but it's just like, well, now what? (laughs) You know what I mean? And it's Mm. you because um, I don't know if it's just that people don't expect much from you. I mean, I remember in high school there were people who – um, would almost c- congratulate you just for showing up. <laughs> yeah. you know, you're special just because you came to school today, you know. And, <laughs> yeah. And I'd be like, okay, well, that's great. <laughs> so, so you, I think I suppose I had a thirst to, to, you know, to be worth a little bit more than that, you know. And, um, yeah, so you, you start really going after things and seeing what you can accomplish. And, and I suppose it's learning how to um, – do things differently, like with my arm, like tie my shoelaces, put on a watch strap, all of those things. And I suppose it just translates into your life. Like what else could you make happen that might seem impossible? Like one of those was I really wanted to work from home. And um so I moved into becoming a full time writer. And, and those types of things. So you keep having different goals and dreams. And I love to explore that in my books. So a
1: lot of the times there's someone who's you know doing something different. So, to, uh, do you mind me asking, just in a very practical way, do you use a keyboard? Have you do you type with one hand, or it just seems remarkably brave to choose a job where you need a keyboard when you you are living with that particular, you know, challenge? I, I, don't,
2: I know my my agent asked me this as well. You know what it's. Um I do I do I do use a keyboard um mainly because if I write, I think like any sort of millennial, if I write with um my yeah. hand, I just get a cramp. <laughs> <laughs> um but no, you know, I think it was a it's a hard thing to point out, but writing is not yeah. typing. Do, do you know what I mean? So it takes yeah. as long as it takes. And I, I am quite a fast typist. Um but it's it's yeah, you know, no, no <laughs> yeah so i type quite quickly um i take breaks i suppose yeah an extra hand would maybe make it a bit faster but i i feel like i type as fast as i yes. can think as it is so I, I would be impressed you know um like so my dad has two hands and you know he watches me and he's like wow how do you do that and I'm like, well how
1: do you run so slow <laughs> I don't understand. you've got an extra pen it should, should be amazing <laughs> So that helps explain a lot about the underlying story of the island villa, for example. And I don't want to put any spoilers for people who haven't read it, but it is about a dying husband who leaves his wife a poignant legacy. Now, I've got a sister-in-law who lost her husband coming up four years ago, but it still is a very sad journey for her to walk and as I was reading it I was thinking you know Julia would love this book I'm I'm going to recommend it to her because I think she'd really feel you know it would really help her to to feel what other people share with her yeah and I wondered if you'd got that sort of feedback from bereaved people that it helps them in a strangely comforting way to read a story like that
2: Yes, I I have. And I've I've been quite surprised by that. Um, Like, um, not just this book, but um, I think I really felt that with my second one, A Cornish Christmas, which um, it's about a woman who's struggling after the death of her mother. And I had so many uh, women particularly write into me to tell me that they've just lost their mothers and had gone through something like this. And that story was very much inspired by my own experience with my mum. Um, who had uh, stage four breast cancer and I was terrified about losing her. and I think that's one of the things that writing does. you know it allows you to ex- explore your worst fears and almost what you hope or what you wish you could would happen if that had to come to light. And yes. the island villa was very much like uh, that sort of story and I had um, I had a reader who had lost her husband she's become quite a dear friend and shame. And I, I was quite worried about her reading this this novel and, and how she would receive it. And she, yeah, she really, she said that it was quite, quite helpful. And she said <laughs> what was quite strange is there's this, I also don't want to give away a spoiler, but, you know, there's this moment where she's sort of speaking to her husband a lot, um, who's passed. Yes. And she was yes. like, oh, my, oh my God, and Lily, it's like you were in my head. <laughs> and I felt so <laughs> But it's just like, I know that that's the level of, and excuse me for saying that, but it's just true. It's the level of crazy I know I would go to if I ever had to, God forbid, lose my husband. You know, I'm quite sure I'd be wearing his clothes and, you know, just going mad.
1: (laughs) Yes, yes. Look, honestly, I, I did have a very big bereavement in my earlier life. I lost a stepson, and I did consciously understand that for. A very short time I I did have a crazy head sort of you know I did recognize that the thoughts I was having weren't logical and normal but I think everybody who has a major bereavement has those times when they know that they're being a bit crazy but it's actually quite therapeutic to be like that (laughs) yeah
2: Look, look, my my granny, uh, when she lost my my grandfather, um, she really, she went through such a dark time as well. And um, she she, she said she went through this moment where she decided that's it, enough of this, I'm going to end things. And um, so she went to the bathroom, and it shouldn't be funny, but it really was. And she had all these pills, and she was like, well, how many do I take? Because I don't want to end up vegetable, so I just need to know how many will do it. So she ran to the phone to phone up her chemist to ask. And (laughs) and at that moment, she was like, well, he's not going to tell me, is he? (laughs) And she says, you know, thank God her good humor. (laughs) To go out of that moment, she was like, okay, no points, moving on.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, so that, that is a dual timeline story if we sort of move on a little from this yeah. rather macabre topic. But um, that is a dual timeline story. And, and like the the, um, the the Paris secret, but Formentera is is an unusual place to set it. I mean, it's not an island I'd ever heard of. yeah set next door to the famous Ibiza. But it, it's a wonderful place to to set a story, and there's obviously a really interesting historical heritage there. I wondered if there were challenges in doing the research, because I guess a lot of the information would have been in Spanish.
2: Yes, a a lot of the information was in Spanish, and it was really hard to actually sort of get to the truth of that story, the myths that had surrounded it. and I was fortunate enough to, to get in contact with a few people, historians who lived there and um, had written books set there because I'd got myself into such a muddle. It, I think it was the most intense research um, novel I'd done to that point. But I really felt it was just this moment where I'd, I'd stumbled across something that was so powerful. And that was the reason I decided to set it there. I I always wanted to do something Spanish and something about the Inquisition. Um, But when I came across this little bit of research um, about this hidden community, um, I just knew I had to write this story. Um, I have a bit of a a Jewish ancestry myself. And um, there's a sort of story about my husband. Oh, I hope I haven't given a spoiler. But anyway, um, yeah. So, <laughs> so I ended up doing a lot, a lot of research and I spoke to um, a college in Israel that had these papers from the, this lady named Gloria Mound who'd done a lot of research in the area. Then I spoke to a, a guy by the name of Martin Davies. who's also a historian. And um, together with those old papers and then um, Martin who, who sat with me just, just while I was skyping him while he lives um in spain
1: <laughs> and he yes. was
2: talking me through things and and telling me where to go and so i got a lot of help and i was i was very very fortunate but and there were a lot of things that i'm sure i did get wrong and I, you just have to take this sort of leap of faith and yes. um, you, you know because you can get lost in a rabbit warren <laughs> research and I, I was just terrified about getting it wrong so yeah I'm sure I have I'm sure there are bits, but yeah I did try my best and
1: yeah it was, did, it, it was a lot of fun to write. Did, do you read or speak Spanish yourself?
2: I, I've done one year of Spanish um so in varsity I did one year and, and that was that was great but no not enough to help me read
1: um <laughs> <laughs> research. Historic texts. <piece. laughs>
2: Yeah, I was sort of putting it into Google, um, <laughs> Google Translate, and go because there's so much I needed to know. It wasn't just this ancient world; it was the the salt trade and how that worked. And there's nothing. There's so little about yeah. the salt trade yeah. in that area that's even known. Mm. Um, mm. And so I was reading so much more because there, there was so much more about um, different areas of Spain um, and their more prolific um, routes. Um, but because yeah of how things worked out um a lot of a lot of that history was just sort of erased um which is quite sad
1: yes yes now we've mentioned the paris secret and i'm interested to hear you say about the jewish link in your own h- history because there's a key character in the paris secret madame Joubert, who also shares that heritage um that story, Valerie returns to Paris to discover the truth about what happened to her family during World War Two. I wondered if researching that one also presented particular challenges. Um yes, that that, that did. Uh, I, it was that was sort of um,
2: sort of kismet in a way. Um, I was reading up about uh, about something else, um, and. I came across the story about um, France finally um, acknowledging its war children. And it was the story about, I also don't want to give away spoilers, but it's about the children born um, too Nazis. And it, yeah, it was so, so fascinating. And it just led me onto a different um, research path. Um, but the nice thing about the Second World War is there's so much that we do know. And um, so many readily available sources that you can go through. So that it was a historical novel, but i I also tried to make sure it was it was a novel first. You, you know, um, the story was more about Valerie's story in the sixties um, than, say, the Second World War. But I just needed to have as many facts as I could in place to make this. You know, believable. Yes. <laughs> <late>. yes yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it was it was easier to find that information definitely than say compared to the island villa of this um you know, year. Yes. Set in seventeen
1: hundreds. <laughs> that was
2: quite interesting.
1: <laughs> yeah. Perhaps now turning away from the specific books to looking at your wider career a little. I wonder if there's one thing you've done more than any other that you see as being the secret to your success as a writer. I think maybe it's just
2: keeping going. I know that sounds so trite, but it's um yeah, I think I think the one secret that I would say is that you just keep going. You keep trying. Um because I remember reading um, one of the first novel attempts that I tried, and I think it it goes back to that nine-year-old little girl who who really wanted to be a writer, but the first thing I ever tried was horrific. really, really was. And just knowing that eventually you'll get there. I don't know where this dogged belief comes from. I mean, I think sometimes it's delusion. But, you know, you have this idea and then you think, okay, well, I'll I'll come to it and it will will get somewhere, you know, and – I think that that is has um, that has been the the the, um, the recipe for me um, is just to keep going. So even though things are bad, or a book, or it, there, there's been one or two of my novels that weren't as well um, received not 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 in in terms of negative press, but my third novel just didn't sell quite as well as the the previous two, and it was just this blip. Um, and I think it was just about keeping going and just saying, okay, well, you know, this is no guarantee. No, no one, um, no one knows if they're ever going to do well. But you love this, so let's keep going. And who knows what will happen on the fourth one or the fifth one? And and I'm I'm so grateful that my um, success, and I put that in inverted commas, have, have happened in my later novels. You know, so the last two. And um, for instance, this is the first time I've had an audiobook deal. Um, and um I've had two foreign rights deals now um so it's just about persevering and I know that's just so trite but it's so true it's about keeping going you know I didn't get that big um you know debut success that you we all dream about you know you want to be successful sell a million copies um it's just about being enjoying the process and um yeah keeping going because who knows where you might get you know and if if i'd say stopped on the third book i might never have got into a stage where i would have had my first audio deal and that kind of thing so i I would say my secret is (laughs) it's so boring it's just persistence
1: (laughs) (laughs) it sounds great and actually you i'm sure you wouldn't be surprised that that's what many of the people that i speak to on this podcast say that it's i'm glad (laughs)
2: I wish it had something to do with lighting candles or beautiful
1: music. <laughs> <laughs> so sort of talking about lighting candles, I wonder, are you a workaholic? And if so, how do you discipline yourself to switch off and unwind? Um,
2: yeah, I'm not really a, a workaholic, I would say. I am. Um, I'm a warrior <laughs> <laughs> so, so I think the worry is always there I'm actually I'm such a procrastinator and that is my worst flaw um I tend to I, I'm a bit of a sprinter when it comes to my novels. so I enjoy and I hate that I enjoy this because it's just become my process I lock myself up into a room and then I don't do anything else and so whether that takes <laughs> yeah, literally nothing else um sometimes it's like hard work to go to the loo, you, you know, or and the house looks like oh, like an absolute tip. My husband is grumpy because he hasn't got a wife. My dog is cross with me because we haven't gone for walks. But that's how I get a book done. You know, I just, I don't know how to pace myself. I don't know, like these people who just do 1,000 words or 2,000 words and then they stop and they do this every day like a marathon. I don't know how they do it. I, I feel like that's some special skill that I just didn't get. So I worry, 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 and then the deadline gets closer and closer and then next thing, you know, I'm flat out and I'm pulling all nighters. But that's when it comes alive like because it's, you're so immersed in this world. It's almost like that heady rush of when you, you're you studying for exams. That's how it feels. And then everyone's speaking to you and, yeah. And that's, <laughs> that's
1: how I write books. And
2: it's not healthy.
1: <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> oh, that's fascinating. Look, moving right along. <laughs> it's called The Joys of Binge Reading, this podcast. So let's move on to talking about Who did you like to read and binge read? And you've mentioned Daphne du Maurier as one of your classics, but tell us a little about your reading.
2: Okay. Oh, um, yeah, I love reading. Um, I think one of my favourites is Kate Furnival. I can read, you know, shopping lists of what she writes. I think she's just phenomenal. Um, Kate Morton as well. I haven't actually read her latest, The Clockmaker's Daughter, daughter. Um, but that's on my, my to-be-read pile. Um, I'm trying to think. Who else? I read very eclectically. Um, so under my own name, I'm, I publish – well, I will have my first children's novel out this year. So I read a lot of middle grade, which I think people might be surprised by. So I read a lot of fantasy fiction and that kind of thing. Um, And, oh, I've just discovered sort of crime, um, although it's more like psychological thrillers. So I recently really enjoyed a novel by Gillian McAllister. It's called No Further Questions, which was phenomenal. Yes, I have very eclectic taste. It all depends on what my mood is. So, you know, if I'm feeling a bit sorry for myself, then I tend to go for, like, rereading Harry Potter. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or, but if i'm feeling quite brave or, or that kind of thing then I'll, I'll go for something quite hopeful like um i also read um eleanor oliphant is completely fine I, I love that genre i think it's it's quite um uplifting um, so
1: i've been reading yeah quite widely i'd say yes yes tell us a little bit about your children's book what's that about
2: yeah, so um, the first book will be, it, it's actually going to be published in New Zealand as well um, and Australia. I think it's also on the, the same publication day. It's the 2nd of May uh, this year. Um, it's called Starfell. And the first book is Starfell and it's called Willow Moss and the Last Day. And it's the story of a little girl who has the worst magical power in the family and um, the ability to find lost things. And no one thinks she's special at all until last Tuesday goes missing. <laughs> 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 yeah, so that's been a lot of fun. And um, it's, it's been quite a whirlwind with, with that um, and having the sort of two, because um, for such a long time I've been writing as Lily. And now all of a sudden I've had to sort of reclaim my own name. Just mention that name for people who don't know it. So my real name is Dominique Valenti, which is quite funny because I know it sounds more like the made-up name. (laughs) 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 Uh, My my maiden name was Bradley, um, so it's quite English. And then um, my husband's surname is Valenti. So that's how I suddenly got quite this exotic name, Dominique Valenti. Um, Yeah, it's just a a happy accident but um, yeah I chose Lily Graham um, when I launched my sort of project with my friend of actually finishing a book and getting it up there and out in the world Um, and it was a way to protect myself um, in case it was a a horrible awful mess (laughs) 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 and also I was a journalist so I thought well you know I don't want any of my um, not that any of them were mean, but, you know, if it was a roaring disappointment, I could just imagine my, my colleagues laughing at <laughs> me. <laughs> <laughs> at least then they wouldn't know. <laughs> oh, I'm sure that they wouldn't have done that, but anyway, look. Oh, they just it up because I was so stupid and I used the same uh, photograph of myself. So I had friends going, is this you? <laughs> <laughs> So is the worst
1: kept secret. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Look, we're getting close to the end of our time together. So circling back to the beginning and looking back over your writing life, at this stage in your career, if you were doing it all again, what would you change, if anything?
2: Um, I think I would have tried to find the courage to pursue maybe fiction writing from the beginning. Um, I think I I don't regret being a journalist at all. I think it really taught me because I'm quite a sensitive soul, and um, you know the newsroom <laughs> is not for sensitive souls. <laughs> 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 so it was it was a really good experience actually, and um, you know toughened me up a lot. But I think what I would have said is you know it's still right. You know you, you know you don't have to wait ten years um, until you finish a novel so I think I would have I would have tried to do that that earlier and I would have hopefully have known that you, you you like anything you would get better but you can't get better unless you write you know yes
1: yes yeah so what is next for Lily the writer what have you got on for this coming year when you look ahead?
2: um yeah so um I've now moved into a one book a year schedule um so with my digital publishers we used to do two a year but because of my children's novel I've had to scale back so I'm still writing two it's just one is for children's and one is um for you know Lily Graham um so that that's going to be quite different and a little bit of a, a breath of, of uh, fresh air, to be honest, because I'll, I'll get a bit more breathing room. Um, so this novel that I'm working on um, will be out in October, and it's also sort of set in the Second World War, and it's got to do with the Blitz and a group of women, um, friends who, who live in the, the Devonshire countryside. And, yeah, I'm, I'm quite excited to write this one. So I've, I've made a start um, sort of in first draft stage. But, it, it, yeah, it will be out this October, so I'm quite excited about that one.
1: We're really excited about, um, you've said very kindly that you're willing to give away a paperback copy of the Island Filler to a, a listener, and all they need to do is is send their um, name to go into a draw, and we'll give those details on the um the show notes for this episode. Um, that is really very generous of you, and, and you said you'll sign it as well, which is even better. Oh, yes, it's absolutely my pleasure. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Now, for interacting with your readers, where can they find you online? Um, yeah, you can find me on um, my website. That's probably
2: the e- easiest. It's um, or on Twitter. Um, which is uh, Lily Graham
1: Wright, And I'm also on Facebook just as Lily Graham author. And you love to have feedback from your readers by the sound of it.
2: Oh, absolutely. Um, on my, my sort of Facebook page, I am very fortunate to get people coming in and letting me know that they've just finished a book. And it, it just gives me so much joy. Um, I had this one reader, her name's Kathy Schaefer, She's in America, and uh, it was while I was actually writing The Island Billet was last year, the depths of winter. And you know when you're just feeling so sorry for yourself. And I don't know how she knew, but almost every two weeks she'd be, you know, my little cheerleader. And she'd be like, how are you doing? (laughs) You can do this. (laughs) (laughs) It really was just like magic because I really would be sitting there at my computer thinking, I can't do this, I can't do this. And then, you can do this. Like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I do love my readers and I really appreciate them. They they are so kind and I, you know, with all the, the books that are out there in the world and to take the
1: time to send such nice messages and, and emails, I'm, I'm very, very lucky and blessed. Well, that's fabulous, Lily. It really is. We just, um, you know, reiterate, do feel free to enter the giveaway for the Island Villa, signed copy. And look, it's been marvellous talking to you today. It really has. Thank you so much, Jenny. That's wonderful. Bye. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening to the Joys of Binge Reading podcast. You can find all the details and links for this episode at www.thejoysofbingereading.com. We'd love to hear your comments and suggestions for who you'd like us to interview next. And if you enjoyed the show, take a moment to subscribe on iTunes or a similar provider so you won't miss out on future guests. Thanks for joining us and happy reading.
1: The Joys of Binge Reading podcast is put together with fantastic technical help from Dan Cotton and Abe Raffles. Dan is an experienced sound and video engineer who's really and available to help you with your next project. Seek him out at dcaudioservices at gmail.com. That's D for Daniel, C for Charlie, audioservices at gmail.com. Or check our show notes. He's fast, he takes pride in getting it right, and he's great to work with. Our voiceovers are done by Abe Raffles, another gem of sound and screen. Abe has 20 years of experience on both sides of the camera slash microphone, as a cameraman director, and also as a voice artist and TV presenter. I think you'd agree that his voice is both light-hearted and warm. He is super easy to work with, no matter what the job. You'll find him at Abe. A B E at pointandshoot.co.nz. As I say, the full details in the show notes on the website. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. Hopefully, see you next week. Bye.